0: My guest on Talk Design today is Mark Whelan. Now, Mark is principal and a founder of RW Architecture. That's Rotenberry and Whelan Architecture from Midland, Texas. He's got more awards than we can discuss. And he is also a fellow of the AIA. Stuck out there in Midland, but his work is everywhere. He's prolific. We're in the state and outside of the state. Mark, we've already had a little chat, but fantastic to have you here. Thank you for making the time and welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks, Adrian. I'm really glad to be here. I really love what you're doing here and honored to be a part of it.
0: Man, it is all my pleasure. And thank you, Michael, for uh, hooking us up for this. And we have had several times that we've met on the Texas Society of Architects Design Conference, which is... I, yeah. I suppose how I know a lot of you guys let's start out with at one point you were this little boy that was running around how did you discover architecture what, what I was saying to somebody yesterday that point when you suddenly notice your environment and it's it's a house some there's a house that took your breath away or there was a building that took your breath away but how did you actually discover that architecture? Early on in your life,
1: well, I I really can't give any kind of a glamorous uh, response <laughs> to that. It's not like I saw one of Wright's buildings and it moved me for the rest of my life or anything. I grew up in an average middle class background. I I suspect my interest was picked in looking at magazines, you know, that showed houses and buildings, and and I do remember I grew up. In southeast Texas, in the city of Port Arthur, way down in the very corner of Texas on the Gulf Coast, uh-huh. and uh, my mother's family was, was from North Texas, north of Fort Worth, and I do remember making those childhood trips. You know, it was a five or six-hour drive to go from point A to point B to see my grandparents. Yeah, and I remember going through Dallas late at night, and. Seeing the skyscrapers lit up at night, and that that made an impact on me. I can't say that I was enlightened enough to be impressed. I do remember once I can't even remember the building now that I was joking with another architect friend and told him a building that moved me as a child, and he kind of scoffed like that was a horrible building <laughs> well, well that I was, a lot. <laughs> now, but at the time I didn't know and the the other thing was in in returning to the coast. I was right in the the Petroplex where all the refining of the oil was. And coming into the towns down there, the, the cities weren't big and they didn't have any tall buildings to speak of. But the expanse of the lights of the refineries and, and all of that system of the refineries made an impact on me too as is, is part of the built environment. But I, I think the impact of growing up in Southeast Texas we were exposed to the Gulf Coast, and then also in, in the piney woods of, of East Texas, yeah. and then going to North Texas to the prairie lands, and we, and we were always outdoors. We, we camped a lot, and we went out to the outdoors, so the impact of the outdoors probably had a tangential impact on me that I never thought about, but I have to say most of my desire to be an architect came from looking at house magazines and Mechanics Illustrated and yep. And and I can still remember things like octagonal houses and how interesting I thought that was, you know. And I have to admit that when I went away to school, I really didn't have the right perception of what architecture really was. You know, and I had that classic. Every one of us can tell that story about the professor that says in your freshman class that says, look to your left, look to your right. Those people won't be there when you graduate. (laughs) And right and in in the, in the the whole the whole nature of of having to go through a course of study that took so much hard work and so much time uh, but i think i was blessed with the ability to be just open minded and i and i absorbed everything and i think my educational process has been ongoing for 50 years yeah. so that that's how i kind of got to where i am and i think i think it's a privilege in, a, in some respects living in a remote location like I do now where I have to travel a lot to go to projects. And I cherish the time on the road when I can think and see things along the road. And I think that's been a bigger contributor to my professional development than anything since my early days out of school. So. That
0: That being able to travel like that there I don't know from whether it's for everybody it certainly for me is like leaving the world behind and embracing the world as as it's coming towards you, you know and and everything's a possibility the freedom of it is just yeah a wonderful feeling it's I love road tripping and like you said you know with camping just being really it gets really simple you know, I have lots right. of friends who have big, massive campers and all those things. And I go, oh, no, I, you know what? I would rather, I, I I appreciate what they do with it. But for me, I go, there's something about just being that much closer to nature. And right. do you know that the, the thing with it is, is I go, you've got to park that damn thing. You've got to. Tow it everywhere. You've got to do all those things. Right. If you can put it all in the back of the car or the truck or whatever and go, that to me is freedom. And yes, right. it's, it's, it, you know, you might sleep on more grounds and whatever, but it's, there's a freedom in that and a simplicity that just levels it down for me. I can make life complex right. enough. <laughs> right. Right. As you can imagine. So yeah. you, in Midland, you know how many other architectural firms are there in Midland, in the in this mm. in the scheme of things? Because it's not like a huge place. No, it's um, not.
1: It, there there are probably three or four.
0: Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could all have dinner at the same table, pretty much.
1: Yeah, right. And and some some are larger. There's one firm that's more of a regional firm that has an outpost here. Uh-huh. They tend to do more civil work and, yep. and engineering type of things, but they do a lot of architectural projects. It's more, you know, for municipalities and yep. institutions. Yep. We we kind of carved out a practice that was, in all honesty, I was, I was very lucky. When I graduated college, I came to Midland to work for Frank Welch, who was one of the Dean of Texas Architects. And I mean, I would have gone any place for that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, and I wound up here and I worked for him for six or seven years. And then about the time I decided to start my practice, he had opened a Dallas office and before long, his Dallas office became his primary office. So I was able to kind of slip into a position of that. He occupied for a while. It wasn't intentional. It just happened, but it helped. It helped the early development of my practice and then after about five years, Jim Rotenberry and I merged our practices and that, that farmed RWA and which is right nineteen eighty eight. So So
0: with that, like, you know, you you, you got on his in his slipstream basically. Because by he yeah. he created a vacuum and you naturally filled it. And it's surprising that he didn't just keep his firm there, I suppose, in the sense of just making you the principal or something and It stayed that way, but you went out on your own. Why was what was the thing to go out on your own? Uh, Especially, maybe no competition in town.
1: Well, that I'll have to admit, there isn't much competition here. You know, not at least for the work we do. Yeah, and uh, that is good. You know, you and I were talking earlier about Austin, and I have a lot of great friends that are architects in Austin. But I've always perceived that as a shark tank. You know, and why try to have a practice there There there's so many great architects you know and and so we've been privileged to have a a a good clientele here that likes what we do and and that helps a lot but you know frank frank was an incredible mentor to me and he he really opened my eyes about the nuances of what architecture is really about Mm -hmm. and he wasn't he wasn't Anybody that studies his work would know that he wasn't a flashy designer, but he was an incredibly good designer. And his, his work was reserved like he was, but he was a very affable person that was easy to work with and talk to. And and so I learned more about what it was to to be an architect from him than I did from anybody else. And I think my whole career path would have been completely different if I hadn't landed with him early. right it made a huge impact on me
0: but you know like I, i i hear what you're saying with that because to be an architect and and to design structures for people you either have to be rich enough to be able to design whatever you want and then sell it to somebody and fund it all the way or you need a patron and it gets interesting when you get a patron because the patron has a say in what's happening. And like I, I did a little series for the AIA Austin on their homes tour. And one of the questions that I asked them, every architect was what was the brief? What was the client brief? Because you you do this as well. We all do it. We go into some places and we go, how did this happen? Like, Like, hey. what, why, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It doesn't necessarily, you know, it's like this oddity in within the, within the structure and you find out that it's in the brief and it's been something that that person is peculiar to them and that how you get to present it is actually the joy of part of the job to take these right. oddities and these idiosyncrasies and then deliver them back into the client and the client goes on a journey to get there as well, and it's beyond right. their expectation. And right. so, yeah, that's what I think. You know, when you're saying before about, you know, Frank being such an affable person as well, because to do architecture or any design, really, you have to understand people at some point, and you've got to understand the person who's got the checkbook, you know, a little less than Frank Lloyd Wright did. You know, right? Uh, well, you know,
1: that's that's really. Key to doing a lot of residential design, and Mm. you know, frankly, it's embarrassing to say that was my primary aspiration when I started studying architecture was to do houses. I mean, not many architects really like to admit that, and a lot of them scoff at that. But that's—I love the personal aspects of it and the relationships you develop, and the the ability to connect a person to a place through what you're doing more Mm. directly. And it's, that's much more difficult to do in an effective way in much larger scale work. Now, you know, people are going to say, well, look at Louis Kahn, you know, well, obviously he did it. And that's an aspiration, but on a, on a, on a day, you know, even projects with Kahn, you know that there was a client that was connected to him. So regardless of the scale of the project, that relationship is what made it successful and I think anybody will tell you that relationship is at the core of the success of any project. You know?
0: every, every project, because, you know, when it's driven by a committee, even at that point, there becomes some person who stands out. Right. And that is the one that becomes the avatar or the 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 driving sensibility of what's going to happen.
1: In a lot of cases, that person becomes assigned to us after the project is secured, you know. And yeah. When it is by committee, and and then that can make it take a turn that none of us wanted to take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so working it a, with a, a smaller group of people, a single person, or a couple, is is a different dynamic, and I've always enjoyed that. Mm.
0: I think there's a lot. I mean, that's all I do. I think there's a lot of joy in learning your person and. You know, like you said before, you learn your landscape, you learn your person, and then you are delivering to them, and it's a much more—I would not say emotional, but much more connected because you're actually shifting their perceptions and and I say educating them. You're going on a on a journey with them. They're educating you, and you're educating them. And at the end of the day, you're going to create some structure that's going to change the landscape forever and it's going to become something and then they're going to have fallen in love with it in the journey and then they're going to fall in love with it over and over again when they live in it and their family will get that as well and I always think you know when you have an amazing home or house the family that gets to pass through that and when it's been beautifully designed is stepping into life from a, even a, a better platform of appreciation, you know, than somebody who maybe doesn't have that. You, like you said for yourself, you know, you just came from a middle-class family or a regular kind of house. It's not like you were living in an architectural masterpiece or any of those things. Right. And you, you know, you learn that journey up, but then the houses that you create for other people that they live in, their families actually step off that platform, their kids step off that platform into an expectation of great design. They right. they take it for granted, but they they there's an expectation within them. Because we've all been in places that are very poorly designed. And we've all been in places that well not everybody, but a lot of us have been in places that are beautifully designed. And it makes a difference to how you feel.
1: Well you know and and I've been thinking about this recently the interesting thing about good design is it can be more neutral or universal you know t- when you do residential work, you tend to have a a lot of expectations from owners that that's why they're coming to you to know that you want that drawer to be four inches deep rather than six and to put the knives this way and the forks this way, yep, in all honesty, I don't care about that that that's just a detail to get it done what but, but, what supports the fact that that isn't important is the vast majority of us live in a place that we didn't design mm-hmm. and when I say we, I mean everybody, not just architects mm-hmm. and humans are very adaptable, but what our greatest service we can provide is to give them good space yeah in in a space where light moves it through it properly and and you can you can get moments of clarity and delight from that regardless of whether your shower handle is chrome or or brass or, you know, all those little details that people focus on, those things are transient. The other things are permanent. And that's, that's what we really need to aspire to. And when you have a client that can comprehend that, that's even better. You can do a better job. Yeah. About the little personalizations, you're worrying about the transcendence of what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, I wrote down what you were saying then because I wanted to capture it. And yeah, I'm so with you. I go as you say the the little details they'll get done. They'll get done. Right. They'll be taken care of because that's They're like just code being,
1: requirements. Yeah, you have to meet it. You know. Yeah, and
0: and you do it well. The 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 pieces is the larger pieces that if it's not cited well, if it's not well thought for its you know environment or any of those things, sometimes it as a human we adapt we just don't we don't we don't know what we don't know exactly um, and then when we're suddenly presented with what we didn't know and we we're not de- adapting we're being delighted we've moved to a whole nother space that's right. i think that's the magic that i certainly go to a lot of homes that architects do you know especially in the states but in, in australia and stuff as well and you know often it's those it, it's always not often always those moments of delight of the unexpected of how something is positioned or what opens up or how that window takes your eye to a certain point and right. when the light comes in you know and where it falls on a wall or when it falls in from the from the ceiling and you know like it, sometimes you can see where it comes from and other times you can't and right it's there's a little mystery and a little journey. Right. I think I think that's the magic that the the I was going to say the designer has the ability to give to people with experience and with also innovation and being brave and courageous. You know, it's a it's an interesting practice when somebody goes, you know, there's a few million dollars and I need a house, and that's a lot of money. You know, Or it might not right. even be that much. It, right. it might be $700,000 or 500000 whatever the dollar amount is, you know right. it's significant that they're handing over for you to be right. able to do this job. And right. it's right. going to have an impact on their life. Handing over that money is going to have an impact on their life. Even if they've got lots, it's, it's a thought out thing. Yeah, I find it fascinating, that whole piece of the journey and understanding what lets People go with so much faith as well that you. (laughs) Those I always think. Go ahead. I was going to say, I always think of people's early projects. So take me to one of your early projects, and you couldn't believe you got the project, and uh, because it was like more than you ever imagined, and you're actually making decisions, and you're going, "Am I allowed to do this, or should I do this?" (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Take me on one of those journeys.
1: Well, and and that that's also, you know, I think about that. I think with time and experience, and and developing a reputation of sorts, it opens the doors for you. The clients are more willing than they are when you're younger. But when you go back and look at your younger, earlier work, there may be nuggets of ideas that you were trying to explore. And that journey of exploring those ideas is more of a personal journey that you don't necessarily usually share with the client. Mm-hmm. It's more internalized. Mm-hmm. But if you're hitting on all cylinders and making it work, then they might perceive it. If you're ho- hopefully, they will perceive that. It maybe even maybe not perceive it. It may just be just an aura or a feeling that comes over them about a space or something. So, you know, you've accomplished that. Even if I think typically as young guys, we try too hard to, to produce too much of a statement about something, whether it's a detail or an idea. I I think that again, that's the thing that watching Frank Welch work and learning over the years, the subtlety of the ideas. He, he joked one time he was showing me, this is years after i left and we were talking about one of his more recent projects that was uh, he called it a texas Palladian. i think it was a a house that was square in plan and it had a chimney at every corner Uh and and he was it was an absolutely stunning house very understated but beautiful and he kind of laughed offhandedly and said huh I've done that idea two or three times, but there were all different iterations of it in different buildings. And, and it occurred to me that, you know, it's not so much the idea that it's important, but it's the execution of it. And there are a number of ways to execute things. And the, the, the subtlety of it is where the real key of the success is more than just the slap in the face. Mm So that, that was the lesson I learned from him. I like that. And uh, it, and, and so, you know, I think a lot of a lot of us may have an idea that we can't get built and we hold on to that idea and we get it built later, you know, and that that is also you know, know, a common attribute that we all hold. And,
0: I think so. You know, like if you go to other people's work and you're inspired by their work and, and it inspires an idea. And I know this certainly for me and I certainly know it for some of my friends. <laughs> it's like we'll have discussed an idea that we've seen something and it's sparked off something and then it's like have you done that yet have you done that yet like and it's yeah. <laughs> like you might be three years down the track and they go I've done it I've done it and you're like show me the drawings. show me the drawings and then they show you the drawings and you go oh wow that's so cool like you know and it's that idea that was a spark from an idea that just yeah grow yeah, and and and
1: sometimes it's subliminal you don't even know you receive that yeah. and I, I know i remember years ago i did a little project with shipping containers and i thought i thought i had a unique idea that only i had thought of you know and mm-hmm. and i remember discussing it with a friend of mine that was a sculptor and and i said i've got an idea that i want to use shipping containers to do a little project and, and he said, wait right there. And he ran into the studio and he came back out with a magazine of this absolutely incredible container, beautiful container project that was one of your Aussie friends did, you know, All right. Sean did it, I think Okay, uh, I didn't even know that at the time. I'd never even heard of him. He just showed me this image and then it evaporated. And I thought I was so deflated because, and, and the way he did it wasn't what I was going to do, but I thought, I, and then I learned, I should have known earlier in my career, but I learned at that point, there's not, there's rarely an idea that hasn't been thought of. Mm. How it's executed could be done in any number of ways. So I think sometimes ideas are oversold. It's the execution that's more important. I'm so. with
0: you. That's, I always think of that as, as like music. You know, there's only X number of chords and notes. Right. And you just see there's new songs, there's new ways of, putting those chords and notes together constantly and taking us to new places that we've never been before.
1: Absolutely.
0: And often I think, you know, obviously with built space and stuff, there's a lot of it, yet it's not as um, maybe fluid as the music scene and this fact that it's rapid. You know, the music scene shifts quickly. Things take time to get built, so they don't shift as quick. With doing residential architecture, would you say there's a you know like a style that you have that people go, "Oh, yeah, that's Marx, oh yeah, that's Marx. Is there a style or have you developed certain styles through your career?
1: stylistic implications is a hard subject, obviously. I think in a greater sense. Again, I come back to execution. I, I think most of my designs, I, I try to edit it down, and it's that commonality of the detailing and editing more than the stylistic implications. I've never thought about it specifically that way. I will say that I'm inspired and moved more by some of the regional farm and ranch aesthetic that I see in the in the notion of that self sufficiency that that goes with that I think you know I think of ranchers there's there's a beautiful book about ranch gates of the southwest that is only somebody drove around taking pictures of ranch gates and i and I think that speaks to kind of the the design ethic that I hold that I think of those ranchers or their welder that they employed build these gates, and they always try to put a little bit of themselves into it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not so beautifully done, but they're almost always pragmatic and functionally perfect.
0: Not yeah, yeah, always, they they, they they usually work. That's the yeah, first and, piece and that's done.
1: To me, there's something about that ethic that's really important. Now, with our training and our our time and delving into things we can take that same idea and overlay it with some more in-depth thinking and try to get a product that, uh, that gets both things. Mm. So that's the way I approach stuff. And, and I think I personally, when I design things, I tend to go all in and enjoy what I'm doing. And then I want to step back and think about, okay, what should I edit out of this that is superficial or superfluous? And, uh, and and make it better by being more edited. And I, I think that if there is any kind of a style that is labeled with me, it's more about that than anything. That's my perception of it. Again, I live in a small town that's conservative, so I think a lot of people might think my stuff is too modern, you know, uh-huh. and I don't think it is that way at all but i I do like the the basics of trying to work with more elemental materials and keeping detailing simple and not overwrought if I can, and so I guess that's where I'd land more than any place, yeah, right. It's a roundabout I, right. answer to your question. oh well, no,
0: I think it is that that thing of it's modern okay. and as you say, edited, it's certainly be having been in you know that the the ranch house that we were in in texas there it's still a statement but it's not a statement above all else it's it 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 fits but it takes you to somewhere you don't necessarily expect to be you know like and and we'll talk about that project and (laughs) then it is your eye doesn't have to wonder which thing to look at next it knows where it's going it it journeys Mm -hmm. through comfortably and when things aren't edited, your eye does more work or your mind does more work to take it in and to, you're trying to analyze it more, I think, than when you're in it and it just keeps flowing out in front of you. You know, that that's really right. cool. Uh, tell me about your design process then. So somebody comes along and they say to you, you know, we've got this, let's do a, a, a ranch. We've got this ranch. We want a home here. What happens next?
1: Well, obviously the site informs it a lot. And mm-hmm. most of my work, especially in remote locations, they're kind of singular without any other context, rarely any other context other than the the landscape. I think that the setting of the land defines a lot of what you're going to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Dietrich Ranch that we were just talking about a minute mm-hmm. ago, um, that site was sprinkled with large oak trees. We didn't take any trees out in the construction of it. It it was out. I mean, that you were talking about the owner's directive a while ago. Mm-hmm. All the owner told me was that he had been at a tennis pavilion where he sat on the upper level and he just enjoyed sitting on the upper level, looking into the trees and the landscape around. And it was a urban environment, but it it was at a country club near the edge of town. So it wasn't surrounded by structures, but that's really his only directive. You know, he said, yeah, put some bedrooms in it, put a kitchen in it, but I want to be able to sit at a level and see the landscape. And that was, that was really the only directive on that house. And so a lot of, in fact, the preliminary designs were at a different site on the same ranch and the orientations changed. So some of the concept changed, but the initial concept was fluent enough that it could be repositioned. I mean, there weren't enough in Im- the, the, the site impacts the trees, the various things on the site would have been a similar condition wherever we were. Right. In, yeah, the the very, yeah. the landscape. Yeah. The landscape doesn't essentially change a lot. The same. Yeah. 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 But the orientation became better with the new location. So why did and you shift with, locations? He just decided he wanted it at a different place. It was the ranch was about five thousand acres and he thought he would prefer to be in another location. And that particular location I preferred because there was a historic rock tank that held water for the for the cattle and a windmill that peripherally impacted the siding and the design. But I was also able to site it in a way in the trees where, when you left the highway to drive to the house, you meandered and you could Oof. make a turn. You probably remember this and didn't mm-hmm. get active with the house. So the the whole sequential coming into the house from the highway was an element separate from the house itself. Just the you know, and that was a privilege to be able to have a site where I could develop something like that, where the house unfolds rather than it's just in your face. I remember
0: so, it vividly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, we had, walked it, so that helped. Yeah, well, you
0: know, <laughs> I know, I know. I was about well, I had say, to drive
1: Frank Harmon, but all the rest of us walked.
0: <laughs> I remember it so well, that walking it down there, and I've got a few photographs. I, I remember being when the house kind of started to reveal itself, going, oh, damn, I've got to capture some of this, and I've got to, you know, I don't know how many of us in front of me, but I've got those photographs of them going, as my mind's going, wow, check this out, you know, and and that journey in. So once you've done, once you've got that site and you start going, you know, and you've got your brief tennis pavilion, or the brief is really that the line above the trees or the line so that you get the view. That's really more than anything. More than anything, yeah. And certainly we can talk about the house more, and how you achieve that but then do you go away and you know leave the site and start sketching I, I had a I had an architect who said to me once on the show you know really the house just pops out of the ground in front of me and you know you've got a few ideas that are that you've got and then the, the site's starting to inform it and then you start to think of what this could be and all of a sudden you've got your first sort of points of structure of what it might end well, up being and then do you just go and start sketching or what what happens
1: uh a lot of my sketching is mental when i'm driving down the highway as we were talking about you know mm-hmm. most of my projects that aren't in midland are remote so i have and i prefer to drive to fly to then flying to projects and so i can think about it a lot and that particular building you know the site influenced it but only to a certain degree because I didn't have to respond to topography. It was essentially yeah. flat Yeah. and it was about tree locations. But then the owner's directive about wanting to be up and seeing mm-hmm. things told me it had to be two stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I mean, you couldn't do that from the ground, not the way he was asking to do it. And, and then the the formal aspect of it was kind of inspired by oil filled architecture, you know, that, that form of that shed, I call that building sometimes a, a building, a house under a hay shed. It's yep. just a simple shed form with a box underneath. And that form is fairly common. And, and just in in fact, just a quarter mile away or a half mile away, there is an oil field structure near that ranch that is a gas pipeline compressor station where they you know they compress the gas to keep moving it on down the line sure and those compressor stations have in informed some of my ranch designs too because that's it It relates to those without being direct mm-hmm. so a lot of my design i don't really have a strong methodology to my design process it's kind of intuitive Yep. i know that doesn't sound very professional i just i just think about it in 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 look for something to inspire me to do it. So the combination of those types of structures, what that client said that to me kind of defined a two-story space. And then the the notion of trying to put a shelter over Uh something that's so important in the Southwest. We have so much sun, Uh a lot of my work involves shade, you know, and and all of those elements kind of, and then I wanted to put a little historic reference in with the dog
0: trot. I was about to uh, ask about the dog trot. Yeah. yeah
1: so, you know, in, in I did it for some of the same reasons they would have done in old dog trots. But to me, the the beauty of a dog trot is what it frames beyond more than what it is. Mm-hmm. And that, that notion of looking from light to dark to light, light through a building, whether it's a dog trot or an open portal of some kind, is just one of the timeless elements of architecture you know Mm -hmm. and in this case i was able to put the axis of that driveway with a with a large oak tree beyond the dog trot and just create a a postcard there and part of the processional entrance to the house and those were just all gifts that were kind of laid in my lap there you know (laughs) i don't think i did anything so brilliant it was just there you know
0: yeah and so The brilliant part was, is you didn't build a wall in front of it. (laughs) (laughs) You saw the gift and you went, yeah, thank you very much. I'll work with that.
1: (laughs) And so after that, it was just kind of trying to develop the language of what the building would be. I, I tend to approach everything that way. I, I think a lot of times I may have some idea that comes to me Mm -hmm. that I may try to do a rough sketch and and as I take that rough sketch, it looks good, but then when I start to put it to scale and make it work, it blows up and it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You know, so you have yeah. to think about it some more. But I think that 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 all the time I'm working with that embedded in my brain is the attempt to try to make a special moment, some place or moments, some place mm-hmm. in the project with light and space and mm-hmm. all the all the senses, breezes, sound. You yeah. know, I did a little project out on a lonesome ranch one time, and uh, I was sitting on the front porch. No one was there, and the house wasn't done. And, the, and a and a mason had set up some string lines to stack some stone columns up to. Yep. And the wind was blowing through those strings and making music. Uh-huh. And I still haven't done it, but I've held that thought all these uh-huh. years. I'm going to make that happen on a project at some point. Because you know, we usually don't think about that opportunity and it's there. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it at some point. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. So
0: I have a, a thing that I love to do, which is go before sun up to a site, especially say something like that ranch, and then just watch the land wake up as the sun comes across it. Exactly. And, just listen to the transition of the night creatures and the day creatures, you know, the crickets and the things that come at different zones. And then, you know, do that envisaging of, so this is actually going to be what's going to happen to provide I don't ruin the whole landscape. This is what's going to happen for this place. And, you know, like you were saying with those live oaks and stuff that none of them went, they all still stand in the same spot. So that, that particular house, it has such a you know a light touch on the land in that sense. It sort of floats above it, and the big shade structure. But it, I imagine it, in, it it increased maybe some of the habitat for animals because there would have been more shade. There's more stuff there, but it probably maybe some moved out a little bit to be more you know out away from it. But it probably increased it on other points as well, and so the house kind of sat to the landscape and the habitat that the everything lived in around it kind of just moved and just gelled back in and then settled and I think down that's again. Probably
1: true. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and yeah. then that thing with having the you know when you go, oh, we've got this prevailing breeze that might come from here if it's a breeze, but different from if it's a strong wind. But if there's this prevailing breeze that just wafts across here. And especially when you've got an old farmhouse or something that probably nobody thought about how it was sighted other than a farmer who went, I need to be able to see that. And I know the wind comes from there and I know when it rains, it comes from there. So I want to be able to sit here and look at that and you'll find you've got the best sighted porch ever because uh, exactly. at, at their their security and their safety and their you know their cattle and everything else relied on that knowledge of the land and the knowledge of where they needed to be able to observe from you know i often go to sites and there's an old house and my first thing is is like okay what what is there to learn here from this right. old house like Absolutely. the house itself might be rubbish but what is there to learn about its sighting and
1: There's some relevance to it, whatever it is. There is. There's a nugget of relevance in there. and That's always the case. And it's usually about sighting. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, I mean, primarily because I'm so sensitive to the intense sunlight we have here. I always tell people, I want to go to the site and spend most of the day and watch the path of the sun Uh so that I understand it. And, And I've known from experience what it's going to do in the winter versus the summer. But I want to experience that sun path on the site not on the computer mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. that that has a lot to do with the way things unfold too yeah.
0: I think the other thing that I took from what you were saying before you know like there's a there's something that's we'll call all your work inspired at this point because there's some sort of little nugget of inspiration that you start out with and whether it ends up in there in the end or not but like, you know, the, you were saying with that one, this, this big shade piece and, you know, then taking that back to the gas compression and stuff like that, where it's just purely practical. It's just, you're going to need this. And then right. from that, the inspiration is what, what happens next and then what happens next. Right. Let's talk about the Dideret Ranch. Is it is it Didert? Dideret. Did it yeah. Ranch. It's a big property. And yeah. mm-hmm. For, is it on your website? Yes, it uh-huh. is. Yeah. So, yes. for people listening, go and have a check this out. It, it you know, definitely go and check it out because you'll understand what we're talking about. And in fact, I'll get Mark to send a couple of pictures and we'll put those on the social media part of it. Yeah. You, you started out with a brief that was from this guy saying, I want to be up above it. I want to see out. I want to be. In that la or kind of slightly floating above that landscape, so in it but above, and as you said before, the the landscape's pretty flat; like it doesn't change much. And even the, and this is only my observation from being there for a few hours, the you know the trees and the 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 bushes and stuff are pretty consistent for quite a way around that area. Right, right. Tell me about the ranch, and then going, okay, cool. We're going to do this structure. And then I'd love to, you know, like, what did you have to edit? What did you have to edit to get it down to being such a beautiful journey once you go inside? Well, or and uh, outside, but a beautiful journey inside.
1: Well, the uh, some of the early decisions were to, uh, you know, all of the steel was galvanized instead of left raw. I mean, sometimes we leave... The structure steel raw when it's mm-hmm. exposed, but I kind of like the idea of of that kind of agrarian, industrially agrarian aesthetic where things are kind of left alone. You know, you see a lot of galvanized gates and elements, and they, they just turn to a nice soft gray, and then you mm-hmm. don't tend to it anymore. And then, so I I kind of wanted to explore the idea of having something a little more hard-edged and and tough on the outside. So everything was, all the structure was galvanized steel. All the envelope was cementuous panel. And then all the infill elements like the railings and gates were all weathering steel that was perforated so they had a transparency through it. And so, you know, all those porch elements and gates could from a distance feel more solid, but as you get closer or inside, they become more transparent. Mm. And then the, most of the windows were kind of formed to create those viewscapes, you know, mm. like on the lower level, they're more horizontal where you can either sit or stand and see a horizontal element of the landscape, which was a strong element since at that particular part of the ranch for a mile in any direction, it's very flat. Not it's even a, much it's much a horizontal tall. landscape. Yeah, yeah and, and so when you really stop and think about it, you have the ground plane, which is grass, Uh a beautiful, you know, tan grass. And then you're going to have the the datum line of all the tree trunks that are going to be a gray vertical element but creates a horizontal element in its entirety. And then you've got the green patch of the trees that are basically the same height above the ground and up to their top. So you have all these horizontal planes and then you have the sky that, is endless above that. Yeah. So, so when you're on the ground, the the windows are largely horizontal, so you relate to that landscape. When you get above, they're more often floor to ceiling, so you're kind of open to that, and you feel like you're in the trees mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. viewing. You you feel you you can experience the close up and the distance in different ways in the house. And then I, I threw a combination of the owner liking the material and I liking the idea of the, it's not a new idea, but, you know, kind of the cigar box where outside it's one thing, inside it's another. Uh-huh. So we put all the Douglas fir on the interior. That's and, why it's uh, like
0: a cigar box. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah.
1: so the interior is warm and not yeah. as hard edged and the exterior is more defensive to the environment, although it integrates into the environment, you know, and yeah. and since it's set on, on, on a plinth, it it is kind of a minimal intrusion on the landscape and it's almost like it fell out of the sky. And, but that verticality of that canopy kind of relates to the sky, mm. but I thought it was important to make the canopy disconnected from everything so that everything flows around it. So it's clear that that's there just for protection and the house is the envelope that in, encloses the people. So Uh, That and then some more of those processional things, little details we did that I thought made it a little more interesting is, you know, that at the entry door, there was, I don't know if you remember, a little sidelight, kind of a vitrine space Uh where arrowheads from the site Uh located in here. Yeah. And and part of that. I've got a photo of that.
0: Oh, you do? (laughs) Oh, yeah. The arrowheads. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's my tourist photo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, you know, that was
1: designed where if you arrive at night, that one thing lights up and that's the beacon to head you. To yeah, So entrance. you know
0: where you hit it. Yeah.
1: Right. And because, you know, a, a dog trot can be kind of ambiguous. There's typically an entrance on either side mm-hmm. of one. And mm-hmm. if there wasn't some way to signify the official entrance. So that's where that idea came from. So what I enjoyed about that project is all the different touchstones it has. You know, it has a site reference. It has a regional, you know, architectural reference. It has a historic Texas architecture reference with, with dog trots and the mm-hmm. use of dog trots. And then you get inside, and it has you know the human touch with the detailing. You know, all all the all the steel detailing and inside, and in the wood was all thought out so people could really appreciate that. And and yeah, and touch and feel and see that stuff so I I was very lucky to be able to do that that had so many things that you could yeah. uh, work with so many elements
0: I think you know from having experienced it so you know I got off the bus and <laughs> yeah. you know, walked down the driveway and my first kind of thoughts around it were so what is this like because of the big flying roof yeah. and I'm like oh wow like and then it is as an exterior it's it fits with its landscape i don't know how many years it had been standing when we went but a few yeah yeah. Uh and so it had very much you know like that brightness of galvanization was long gone it it, had integrated itself into its landscape really nicely and then that moment that like you said with the cigar box i had to write that piece down because (laughs) When I when we went in and there was all that Douglas fir and it was all beautifully, oh, beautifully executed. I'll well, well put but edited way back. You know, like there was, was it, it wasn't trying to own the place or anything else. But all of a sudden, you went from this semi, not really harsh. I imagine if it had been midsummer, it would have been harsh outdoor environment. And suddenly you were like kind of it was like you were all held in the The timber was wrapped around you and right. it felt warm in, the, in your heart, not necessarily physically, but warm in your heart. And right. you felt really connected to the and then the house kept every time we would move around in the house, I kind of felt like I was on a discovery. I would be. I remember going down to the main bedroom and going oh wow oh wow like check out how this is and then coming right. up the other side and you know that central or semi-central staircase and then discovering all that and then the bunk room kind of area down the bottom you know with those right. bedrooms down the that bedroom down there and just each piece of it and as I said earlier you know one of my memories of the not the last piece but the one of the last pieces was sitting around in the lounge room on the sofas sitting around there chatting and no doubt Frank was there in that piece as well I think he was probably one of the last people to leave upstairs and listening to the other people talking about what they could see and had observed and were feeling from the space and Yeah, I was sitting there just kind of soaking that in. And then when they'd say something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's look for that. Like, where's that? Okay, I see that. I see what they're talking about. And just (laughs) discovering it through their eyes as well. It's Yeah, it was really cool. Really, really cool. And uh, totally also unexpected. You know, when they... When the, the society said they were going to go and do ranch houses, I thought we were going to go through, you know, a whole bunch of Victorians. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and single, single flat, long ranch houses. And we didn't really do that at all at any point. And so it was just this unfolding, this constant unfolding of, wow, wow, wow. I think the other thing that was special on that particular tour was we had quite long bus rides. Right. And in those long bus rides, got to have some probably more in-depth conversations with people around what they'd seen because we weren't shifting quickly from space to space to space. We were, we were on a journey like, and there was, there was that beautiful lag of road tripping from space to space. Yeah. Right. No, that,
1: that, that was great. I, I enjoyed that. And then you get a people, well, most of us were Texans who were there, but People get a sense of what it is we do. Yeah, when we do the project too, you know, you yeah. travel from place to place. Yeah, and urbanites don't necessarily do that all the time. You know, in, no, uh,
0: everything's so much tighter together. They don't get that privilege of seeing the landscape shift and change, and then you know there's structures that sit within it, and and there's there's something about having that space around you and that freedom of that space around you. And then suddenly you go back into, you know, a home and it's obviously a confined space because it's doesn't, it's not the great expanse outside. And that emotional shift that that has for you as well. And that that having the driveway there was, yeah, that was fantastic as well. That driveway that meandered to the house and Uh then, and then lines up the dog trot and to a large degree, you could just go, yeah, that's all just, yeah. And like, You know, you don't necessarily see it, but you absolutely it creates the journey for you. And I love the, I love the fact for people who listen to this in Australia. I mean, people in Texas know what a dog trot is. For the rest of you, it's it's a corridor, basically a wide corridor where the dogs dogs sleep. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, historically, it was two boxy, almost square log cabins Mm -hmm. connected that stood apart and then they're connected by a roof, yep. you know, so it was two elements with a roof over it. And, and I, and I I really do think that primarily that evolved as a, is a ventilation means of ventilation, you know?
0: Well, if you're in Queensland, like where I am, most of the houses are built quite high off the ground. When I say uh-huh. high, they're not quite a full story. Most of the time when people try to expand those houses, they lift the old house and build in underneath But that is is to get ventilation under the house and give the snakes a place to live, you know. Um, (laughs) But does it gives ventilation underneath the house. And then they were built in the Victorian style of a back door and a front door. So you open the front door and there's a back door completely at the other end, which would be our equivalent of a dog trot, except that the dogs never went in there. The dogs may have lived or slept on that veranda that would be across and maybe down the sides.
1: And we call those shotgun houses here. Yeah,
0: there you go. Exactly, because you can shoot a shotgun, shoot a shotgun straight through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yep. so it's that's all it. about
1: the same thing. That's interesting, though, that they're off the ground, you know. Yeah. Because that's more predominant in the southeast in the United States. I think you
0: know. we, in in lots of Queensland, where it's A for airflow, but then also there's, well, where I live is like Florida. So it's subtropical. And okay. when it rains, it rains really heavily. And so yeah. it also is giving things dry feet. You know, you're not down in that. So right. often that's the case. We we get a lot of rain all at once. Uh, but Texas has Texas floods as well. You know, like it's a yeah, lot of rain all at once. When you get ahead.
1: into more yeah. the south and the east part of the state, it's more like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I got and a couple West, of... Kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, look, that, that particular tour was probably the... Out of the ones I've been to, was the one that was closest to my heart because it was out in the countryside, and it was, it was everything was a surprise. Every every place we went to was a surprise in some way, and uh, it was it w- was really enjoyable. Re- yeah, you know, when when we went to El Paso, there was lots of surprises, but it was more of an urban environment and right. that kind right. of thing. Yeah, I've got a couple of last questions. Okay, one is. In your own home, you have a favorite space. What is it and why is it your favorite and what emotion does it give you? It's,
1: it's, uh, I'm embarrassed to talk about this, but I will. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, 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 the home I live in, I designed uh, as a young man. But I I didn't have a lot of money, so it's it's pretty simple. Anyway, uh, I didn't. I think I was lucky with how it turned out, considering with with more seasoning, I probably could have done a better job. But I think the budget restricted my flamboyance. in In that house, what I tried to do, I it's just in a, a typical builder urban environment. You know, the I I couldn't find a lot that had any excitement to it there wasn't anything available so I built where I could Yep. and I built within a budget where I was trying to compete budgetarily with the neighboring houses that were all builder houses no architect design houses so I had I because I didn't have any money and because I had that restriction that's it turned out the way what it was very simple house it's just a shoe box Uh it's a rectangular box with a little carving out of it here and there but my favorite space in the house is the living room, which I'm embarrassed to say I don't spend that much time in because it's not the center of the house where the family is. You know, we have a kitchen family room where most uh-huh. of the activity is. But when I can slip away, I go to the living room. And then my favorite time to go in the living room is late at night on a moonlit night mm-hmm. because that's one of the few rooms in the house that I had any verticality to. It's kind of slipped up into the attic space, so the ceiling is a little taller. Uh-huh. And, I, and I ran a skylight the length of the room to wash the one high wall. And it, it's a pleasant space all during the day because the light changes. But it on a moonlit night, when the silvery light fills the space, and when the moon actually casts a line of light just like the sun does, but it's moonlit, so everything uh-huh. is more subtle and nuanced, it is just a magical place to be. And that's my favorite part of the house. So,
0: Yeah. Right. That's so cool. That's so cool. So you, we would find you there if you can escape to it. Right. And
1: I still do. I'll go down and just sneak off after everyone's gone to bed or whatever and and sit there. Or I like to read there when I can can break away to go read and, yeah. I mean, I'm a empty nester for the most part now, but but I still work all the time. So,
0: <laughs> well, it's not really work, is it? that's the other thing. Like when it's so embedded in your being to right. design things, I go. The design part isn't the work. the 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 running the practice is the work. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. Don't go <laughs> to work for exactly that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The design part's the joy and. That's where the magic is. And yeah, that, I love hearing that that's what it is, like, and how simple it is as well. And, you know, like just being that, that skylight, God bless your budget, that it allowed for it, right. because it created absolute magic. And, you know, it's an element like that, that just can change everything. Um, you um,
1: know, we were talking about this a while ago. It's funny, you can as an architect you want to be able to control everything you can you can create those <laughs> moments yeah but it's embarrassing to say how many times there's still surprises in that and and the good thing is it can be a surprise for the other users not just you that, yeah. that created so, yeah yeah uh, I, I that's i love those little moments of light that you wouldn't have thought of you know the skylight's going to animate the room you don't know when that line, you don't know exactly if that line is going to be a knife cut across the wall as opposed mm-hmm. to illuminating the whole room. Mm-hmm. Those are the moments that you live for in what we do. You
0: mm-hmm. know, so. Yeah. And also you didn't design it thinking that you would find that the moonlight was, um, exactly. you know, was going to be the joy. over. That the was other a revelation
1: line. to me. And, yeah. and I've learned that that's an important thing. You know, I, I yeah. stumbled on. Yeah.
0: Know, isn't that a beautiful journey, you know, to find that. So that was the easy question. Now I've got the hard question. Okay. One last project. That's it. Pencils down. Can't design another thing. Can't influence another design. You are done. What do you choose?
1: Uh, I, I've, I've, You've I've heard this the, on other podcasts. We've all evaded that question. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: None as well. You have to start asking
1: a different last question. Yeah, you know, I do have a well dream.
0: As, oh, sorry, What's I was going to say nobody's invaded as well as Tom um did, yeah. when, when he said just something I couldn't finish in my lifetime. Pretty much. <laughs> fair, fair go, Tom.
1: <laughs> uh, well, you know, you know, I've fantasized about doing a project where I design a space in collaboration with an artist, design a space for their art specifically. And I've I've had that notion pop up as a potential, but it hadn't come to fruition. And that's something that I would love to be able to do, I think. And, nope. and, and really dig in with somebody that you can share a vision with, but come at it from two different directions. I think that would be an enjoyable project. And that's not specific to a client then you know so so i'm not offending anybody by saying that you know
0: no 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 yeah yeah but that
1: is something i would like to do yeah yeah,
0: i can imagine it would be as you say it's a real collaboration and they would have i imagine the meeting of minds would be really interesting i went to a home thad reeves did or I don't know, I can't remember the name of the people, but they were artists. And uh-huh. that was in somewhere out of Austin. And it was for artists and that he used like a polycarbonate as a whole lot of the.
1: Oh yeah. I know uh, the house. You know uh, the I, house. Yeah. I can't yeah, think right. what
0: it's called. Right. And that ethereal light that it created in the gallery and the studio space. Right. I came away just going, ah. Oh, That's so cool that it was one of those moments that I, you know, it's a bankable moment. You go, wow, that did all this in this space and in this landscape. And there were still views out of that room as well, but they weren't, that wasn't the importance of the room, but the way it filled with light was so, yeah, it was just so beautiful. And the, I would have never thought that that was the material you'd use to do that, but it was all about that artists work and and creating a a a unique structure for it and I yeah when when you started to say that that was the first place that came to my mind because it was a studio because it was all those things my dad is a fine artist and whilst he's 95 now he doesn't really do a lot anymore Right. He he built himself. When my mother died, he, he moved to the beach area where they would owned a property for years, and he built himself like a a one bedroom place, but it right. had a, a big studio and right. up upstairs, and it's in the trees and stuff. But he wanted to elevate the studio up to get that light in there, so he would right. use it to paint in and everything else. And he was right. making a clear message: you know, it's one bedroom; you're not staying here long. There, right. there was a sleep-out <laughs> shed as well. There is a sleep-out shed as well. But that that thing of being up there in the light and in the trees and getting that space and being able to – had to have enough windows and enough wall space for him to hang stuff as well. So, yeah. It's, I didn't design it for him. It was – he basically bought something off a plan and altered it and altered it and, and altered it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's, I don't know what made me think of this. I was going to tell you earlier. Are you familiar with the movie, Babe?
0: Yeah. The, okay. With the, the pig?
1: With the pig. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. blue pig, that'll yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The famous line. You know, I've used references to that when I've spoken before, because something that rang so true to me in that movie was Farmer Hodgett. Uh, remember how he worked on the gate throughout the movie? Oh yeah, he had a gate yeah. that when he would push it, it would it was counterweighted so it would close itself. Mm-hmm. And all through the movie, he would try it and it never would quite latch. And then right near the end of the movie, when he left, it closed and it latched properly. And he just had a very, a very gentle smile, but he was very proud that he had finally accomplished what he set out to do. And and I think that's that's what I'm striving to do when I do things is have it click. Get it to latch properly. And it'll latch properly. I love uh, that. So, that
0: that, (laughs) is. I get it. I totally get it. It's like you're just constantly always working for that last piece that it just. It really works the way you you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Mark fantastic conversation thank you so much for your time well, thanks um, again for having me i really enjoyed it uh me too man me too and i look forward to seeing forward you and
1: seeing you at the next trip february
0: so, we're going to arkansas right and this is going to be a bit of fun and it's uh, going to
1: be a really good one it really was. i
0: believe so like i'm like arkansas and then i started doing a bit of research and oh. talking to a few people and went wow okay and I, I'm not big on that research part like that because I don't want to spoil the surprise. Right,
1: uh, yeah, I agree with.
0: You. I, I know there's going to be some amazing surprises, and there really uh, will be. Some oh yeah, yeah, I'm re- really looking forward to it. So we will see you in a few months. Have a wonderful okay. holiday season, Christmas, and all the pieces that are there are to celebrate. And uh, uh, Take care. All right. Thank you, you, man. Again. Cheers, all buddy. Right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. hi guys i'm adrian i'm your host of talk design podcast i started this podcast a couple of years ago and in doing it my aim was to talk to amazing design people creative minds people who i could learn from and hopefully you could learn from this was a big part of my whole reasoning for starting the podcast We've cracked over 80 episodes and we've done two homes tour specials for the AIA Austin in Texas, which have been really great fun, talking just specifically about houses. We've talked to HGTV stars. We've talked to building designers, interior designers, architects, business coaches, and some inspired characters along the way. People who have captured my imagination and their creative output and gone, huh, these people would bring a story to somebody else and maybe inspire them to go a little further with what they're doing as well. So I wanted to reach out and ask you all for some advice because you are the guys who tune in and listen and subscribe and I really appreciate that. So I want some advice from you. If you guys would be happy to share with me A, what you like best so that I can better direct what we cover as content. And then also, if there's things you wanna solve, what are the three biggest things you would like information on? What are those kind of keys so that I can look and go, okay, let's find somebody who speaks specifically on these points and get some depth of information back to you that would be really useful in your business or in your life or in your home. Whichever one it would be. So if I could ask you to do that, I would be forever grateful if you would share with me just through the email based on the Talk Design website, which is www.talkdesign.show. If you could just reach out via that email and say to me, hey, this would be a really great subject for me, for my business or for my family or for my home or for way i want to see life i would love to be able to support you guys and find those people that we could talk to that would bring that to you so thank you very much for taking the time to listen i so appreciate the fact that you listen to the podcast it makes it all the more fun when i get messages from you to say hey this inspired me i had somebody who sent me one the other day that said your podcast and we were talking on a certain subject it was a game changer for me it was a game changer in how I viewed how I was looking at what I was doing with my design and what was going to come from that so these things make it all the more worthwhile so please if you could tell me top three things that would be useful to you I would love to support you guys in delivering that thank you and thank you for being a listener Take care. Have a wonderful day, evening, wherever you are, whatever it is. Cheers, Adrian. Over and out.